Welcome to another episode of It's Just Pennies. This is the Stock Whisperer. Before you enjoy today's episode, let me just state this. I am not a financial advisor, so if you're looking for financial advice, please seek an investment professional. The episode that you're about to hear is strictly for educational and informational purposes only. Hello, everyone, and I hope everyone is having a good day. As promised a couple weeks ago, I was going to have an episode from time to time that was going to focus on answering some questions that were sent to me via text message, chat groups, social media, or even email. Due to the abundance of questions, what I would do today is just focus on the questions that I picked out. And I'm not going to read the entire message or email, but instead on focusing on giving complete and thought out, thoughtful answers. Since some of the questions that are being asked were about me personally, and then some was in regards to the OTC, what I'm going to do is just rotate back and forth between the two, answering, answering questions about the OTC and then about myself. I really hope that made sense. First off, I just want to say since the podcast was created, I've been fortunate enough to communicate to people all across the world. Never before would I have imagined that I would have created something that would have had people from Israel, Japan, Kenya, Italy, Colombia. Heck, there's some countries that I can't even pronounce will be listening to the podcast. I want to say thank you. If you listen to one episode or all the episodes, hopefully you found something that was helpful. And if you did, I ask that you share it with the next person. What I've noticed as I've been talking to people and responding to emails and messages is that you'll be surprised how many people want to trade or invest, but don't know the basics or where to start or just lost or emotionally can't handle the ups and downs. I hope this podcast is able to fill that gap if you're still having somewhat of those emotions. And if you're not, you don't know much about the OTC. Specifically, I hope these podcast episodes help give you some of that knowledge that you may not have known. Now, let's get started going through some of these questions. Question number one, stock whisperer. I hear the term used a few times during your interviews and episodes. What is a float and can you give an example? So the best way I can describe a float is pretty much it's the number of shares that are available for trading on a particular stock that a company currently has made available to the open market. So ideally, this would exclude like closely held type of shares or insider shares or restricted shares. As far as an example, let's say you're looking at stock ticker ABCD and they have a 2 billion authorized shares, 1 billion Let's say 1 billion of those authorized shares are outstanding shares. However, in the outstanding shares, 100 million of them are restricted and none are being held for like by the company or insider trading. That means the float, if my math is correct, would be 900 million shares as available for the float. So that means the 900 million shares are currently available to be traded for that specific day. Now to add on that, there are some terms that people may hear as far as like low float. I know I've used that a few times. And pretty much what I mean is that the lower that outstanding shares that's not restricted that make up the float is, the lower the float, 
can be. So the thinner it would trade, ideally it means the thinner it would trade. So hopefully that answers your question and that example provided some clarity. Next question, what do you exactly mean by creating free shares and why is it important? So when I first started, the ups and downs, right, of trading can can be a bit much, especially when you're dealing with like your own money and maybe you didn't spend enough time paper trading. So what I would do to help my conscience and I, my mental health and also build confidence in my trading is when I invested, let's say I invested $2,000. If that $2,000 became $6,000, what I would do then is take that $2,000 out and maybe allow the next, the remaining $4,000 ride. So the remaining $4,000 is what I like to call free shares, meaning if it tanked, I technically didn't lose any money. I still have my $2,000 out. But if it takes off even massive, it's I've earned even bigger gains. So in a way, it's like if someone was betting, they say you're, you're playing like, I guess, with the house. The house is money. I don't have that unnecessary stress of feeling like I'm losing out on my actual money I put in. As I became more and more confident in my process, I tend to not as not create as many free shares opportunities. I'm willing to hold my gains along with my initial investment for a much longer period of time if needed, if need to be, or even if it dip, I'm not really in a panic because I'm now fully confident in my process and in my decision making. Next one is why would a company ever increase authorized shares? Typically, a company may increase authorized shares to help raise capital. By having the ability to increase, they can sell additional shares that may, ideally in a perfect world, you're hoping to finance additional growth. They may also do it to avoid a takeover, meaning if I have a stock that has like maybe a billion shares and I'm working on a merger or I know I potentially could be a corporation, financial institution could potentially buy most of my shares and have over 51% of them, then in a way they now <laughs> have more power by holding majority of those shares. So I've seen it where companies will increase the authorized to go from like a billion to maybe 10, 20 billion just to avoid a potential takeover. And then the other one, to be honest, dilution and greed. I've seen it where companies will do a reverse split and then dump all their shares on the, from the authorized. I've also seen it where they just not done a reverse split, increase the authorized and just start selling shares. Ideally, they may do start diluting to maybe get rid of some notes, some debt, some may do it to potentially, I don't know personally, but based on social media and what's out there, you read about companies known for diluting to help pay employees or could they possibly be pocketing money? I personally don't know with that, but I have read that a lot of times companies, when they start, when they increase the authorized shares and then proceed to dump them, that they tend to be doing that. Moving along. How much did your process change from when you first started to now? Um, so I guess when I think about it from beginning to now, pretty much in four areas I like to, I guess, focus on. One is patience. When I first started, I was very impatient. 
I either sold too, I sold a lot of time too early if I had some gains, which isn't necessarily a bad thing if profit is king, but by me selling so early, I missed out on a ton of money if I was in a good stock and it kept going. Or the minute a stock dipped, I sold only to see it rip right after. Those are the toughest ones. I've seen it. I've been in stocks where I have sold and probably like five or six minutes later, they put out news and it just took off. Oh man, I'm getting mad just thinking about that. Next one, uh, greed. Greed. I think once, once I got more comfortable in my process, in a way I became more greedier, meaning like there's been times where I, I'll say I'd rather lose a few thousand versus selling for a few thousand because I'm trying to make, I want to make, let's just say 30 grand out this investment, right? So I would say greed is another area in my process that I like to think I found a happy medium where I, I'm able to be somewhat greedy, but not silly greedy where I'm just losing money from basically having that mentality. If I can't get X amount off of it, I'd rather just lose it all. Discipline, investing, trading, it's something I enjoy. It's a way of life for me. Can't remember last time I played a video game despite owning several systems. It has a lot of dust. Uh, my discipline as far as trusting myself, being able to, you know, I understand, especially if I have anything planned, market hours, I'm disciplined enough to sit, research, read, and just it doesn't really feel like this as, as I speak about it when you enjoy it. It's just something I enjoy doing now. Whereas in the beginning, I think money was my primary focus. And so the discipline really wasn't there because it was like you're always looking for just that one runner. But as I got comfortable with my process and I stopped focusing less on the money aspect, but more on perfecting my process, the money has grown. So I've become more disciplined in the rules I have set for myself on how I trade and invest. And then the other area is probably perspective versus reality. I think when I first started, when I first started after getting past that part of the patience where I was selling too fast, I thought every stock would just be tens of thousands of, of um, gainers. So I literally would see stocks run big and then I'm holding for much bigger and then only to see a tank. Whereas the reality of it is there may be, I would say five to 10 stocks that may go, if that in a perfect world, or in a good year that go from the subs to multiple dollars or even a dollar. Now I've seen it last year. There's quite a few pennies as far as that might start off 10, 20, 30 cent that goes to the dollars. But as far as the OTC subs, type of investments. There's not many that I see on a regular basis that do what TSNP did. And that was go from the trips to about a dollar and 80 cents. So the perspective is the perspective that I had prior to was, was that everything's going to run. Right. But the reality of it is most companies fail within the three to five year time frame. So instead of me thinking everything's going to run to the dollars and be around, I had to deal with the reality is on some investments, I might make only 25%, others 50, others 100,000. I mean, not 100,000, but yeah, I've made 100,000, 
or even tens of thousands, or you might see a million or two, but everything isn't going to make you a million. Everything is not going to be, or every ticker isn't going to be the one to run and make you rich. There's a process behind it. You have to manage being, um, what's the word I'm looking Dealing with reality compared to imagination, right? The perspective of, or the idea of like, man, this could be the one that go, it's going to a dollar. And every, you think everything's going to a dollar and you miss out on smaller gains that eventually would add up to what the bigger game you're hoping to see one day. Moving on to the next one. Question says, I noticed on the previous ticker of the day, you used the name or used the terms, term ticker change. I have never experienced one, but if I do, is there anything I need to do to get the new ticker if I own the old one? So no, from my understanding on the brokerage accounts that I've had, I've had to do anything with it, but some brokerage companies do process the ticker change faster, which is very important because if your brokerage does not represent the new ticker, you would not be able to trade it the next day, which may suck depending on the movement that is taking place. I've been in stocks where depending on which account I'm looking at, I've seen it where a stock ticker changes and it's not reflected on a new account or the, the, the new ticker is not reflected on the account for that specific brokerage company. And then the price is flying. And by the time, which normally takes a day or two after, by the time my ticker change reflects the up-to-date one, the price has retracted a lot or maybe even where I don't, I did not get an opportunity to maximize my gains or get any gains. So what I would personally recommend is call your brokerage company, ask them if a ticker change took place. Is there anything you need to do on your end? And if they say no, I would ask how long do they take to process ticker change requests when they have been submitted and is now effective. Okay. Moving along. Why don't you talk about sales much or anyone you've interviewed? Hmm. I personally haven't talked about sales much just because it hasn't been a topic. As far as even on social media, I rarely post my sales. I don't even, I rarely even post my buys. I mean, I, I kind of share ideas of things I'm looking at, but this question is specifically, specifically into sales. I think a lot of people don't talk about sales one, because if someone happened to buy a stock because of them, which no one really should, right? They should, everyone should be doing their research. They may maybe sell just because they seen someone sell and everyone risk tolerance is different. And everyone goal for each stock is different. And the last thing I would want to do is say, hey, I'm selling. And it affects someone else and they start selling right away. And then the stock goes up one to two thousand more percent. It's not a good feeling. I've done it before where someone asked me, hey, what's my opinion on the stock? And I'm like, oh, I probably would get out of right about now. And they end up doing it. Just, I guess they were looking for me for maybe confirmation or affirmation, or maybe they really didn't know I have an idea and they got out. And what ended up happening is it just took off even more. 
And me personally, I felt absolutely horrible. So I refuse to talk about sales. I speak about it in general. I rarely post when I buy stuff. So I'm definitely not gonna post when I'm selling something. I'm confident in my process and my research. That's why sometimes I will either, I would tell, mention the stock before I even get in just to allow others the potential if it's appealing to them to get in. But at the end of the day, I think how much you make is your business. So when you decide to sell, it's your business. And in, in a perfect world, no one should be buying and selling just because someone told them to, especially if they're not a licensed financial advisor, which I'm not. So that level of trust shouldn't even really be there. I think they should. Ideally, I personally would like everyone to have their own process and figure out what works for them. Because I've been in tickers where there's people that I know been in, they chose to sell, they got out. I continue to hold and end up getting maybe four or five times as much as more. So it's really up to them. So I'm not, I don't want to talk about sales, me personally, especially over social media or a podcast, because it could potentially have a negative effect on a stock or someone else who may have certain goals for that stock. Question number, I think it's eight. It says on Calvin episode, he talked about volume a lot. Why is volume so important? For me, volume is important because it allows me to identify how I can play the stock or maneuver through the stock. So once I've identified a catalyst and I will first check on the, the volume to see how much volume and liquidity is being traded. The last thing you want to do at times, depending on the catalyst, is buy into a stock with very low volume and you can't get out and your intentions may not have been been wanting to hold for a very long time, right? So the volume allows you the flexibility at times to get in and out of a stock, or at least allows you to, to figure out how you want to play a stock. Also, I like to look at the volume to find out if it's a pump and dump, right? There's times where you may see no volume on a stock and then in a quick, minute or two span you see all this volume come in and then you see a massive sell off that's a pump and dump and the volume when you can look at it for over multiple days or even in one day depending on how it's trading you can tell or get a good strong enough feeling that it is or it isn't a pump and dump and being seeing people and hearing people's i guess you can say painful stories about pump and dumps if I can help avoid help people avoid those, that's a win in itself because I've heard stories of people losing their savings account, which may they may have taken several years to have on pump and dumps just because they it went up too fast. It went up so fast they thought it was about to be this massive GameStop like type of run and it ended up being a pump and dump by a group. Next question. Why did you create a podcast? And are you afraid of the backlash of putting out free information when others may charge for it or depend on their social media following? So this is like a, a multi, multiple question all in. So I'm gonna do my best to try to answer each part and hopefully the answer helps puts things in perspective. So 
there's a saying that if you want to hide information, especially for certain areas, hoods, just put it in a book, right? Warren Buffett wakes up like 5 a.m. to read. And I know that some people don't even like to read. Last time for some, they the last time they read was probably the last book while they were in high school. And then I know others who like to read, but when you're reading certain stock books, a lot of times we read it front to back without taking time to apply and let the information sit in. So it feels like informational overload. I feel like by doing a podcast and my vision is more for those who don't like to read, but are willing to listen and absorb the information. And also it's for the people who don't have access to certain books or just access to maybe certain financial opportunities others don't have, or maybe they're just unaware. I'm hoping that this podcast helped raise awareness. So that was another reason why I wanted to create it. I wanted it to to help bring, if someone's looking for information, at least they know it's out there now, right? Before it may not have been out there or they might not have known where to look. And then when I think back where I'm from and what's being taught in schools and even my environment, investing, trading, the stock market wasn't one that was really talked about. Fortunately for me, as I as I gotten older and I was you know still fairly young, I think for me, I was fortunate enough to have certain people come into my life that had a different perspective and, you know, was willing to share knowledge to the youth and spark my interest when it came to investing. I think about also, you know, growing up for a lot of people, especially minorities and and people raised in certain areas, the only way you can get out of the hoods or get out of certain environments is one through sports or for some hustling, right? And I feel like the stock market provides an, another way. Like I, I know people who allegedly may have hustled, who once being introduced to the stock market, especially the penny stock world, and they saw some of the gains and et cetera from there, they stopped hustling and taking those chances that may have been identified as like, penitentiary chances. I've been fortunate enough to speak to people about stocks just in random conversations or um, people I may have in my circle or grew up with or even played basketball with. And I know how they tell me those conversations were impactful. And I was just thinking like, if I can capture that information and just put it out there to the world, I don't have to worry about coming off perfect. It's just information it may be useful to others. And a lot of times we have this false view or thinking that we're the only ones going through something when in the reality is there's there may people who may be going through it, if not 10 times as much as more, or they may have some of the same questions and concerns. So I feel like this podcast is providing that platform for anyone who may be looking for information or going through it or wanting to hear inspiring stories about for those who have figured out a process that worked for them, now they have a spot. Before you had to maybe, hopefully you find somebody on social media or maybe you find it in a book, but if you don't like to read, 
then you're missing out on information. Now people really don't have an excuse. There's a lot of quality books out there that you can find information, especially with the OTC. And then you have a podcast that's focusing more on OTC stock market, which a lot of people don't want to do. Like I listen to a ton of financial podcasts as well as stock market podcasts. And a lot of people will avoid talking about penny stocks. If they do talk about penny stocks, they talk about the penny stocks that trade more on the NASDAQ that's considered small cap pennies, but they're not willing to talk about the OTC. Now we have a platform that we can talk about the OTC. And then finally, another reason why I created this podcast is because in our day and age, we have we had this thing in our mind, pretty much that was being preached to us. It's like, hey, you work, and then you put X amount away and you gain interest. I remember once growing up, they just said, you put a million dollars in the bank and a savings in your savings, you can live off the interest for the rest of your life. And then we have all these great retirement plans, which I have retirement plans and I think they're awesome. But then you have sometimes this extra money. And a lot of times what we'll do is we'll go buy some material things. So we we'll just go blow it off, right? Just for that one cool picture. And it's like, we can take that money and invest it and help speed up that, I guess you can say that financial freedom or possibly that retirement. Why wouldn't we take that chance? And what people don't realize is as in the OTC, all you need is a few that really run big. You have your process for some of the other ones that give you those gains month to month or day to day. And before you know it, that small change that you used to use, a couple hundred bucks is now a couple thousand couple thousands now, a couple of hundred thousand. And so I'm hoping that the podcast and by hearing some of these interviews, it inspires people to one, open their eyes. And then two, know there are other options in working to 65 and 70, you know, and, and an average lifespan, I think I saw was like between 72 and 77. So retirement age is what in our 65, I think 65, don't quote me on that. We only get seven or eight years of trying to say or we can ride off into the sunset. And I think the OTC, I personally like the OTC because I feel like for those who saw here some of the interviews, it helps get us further away from that 65 and more in the early years of financial freedom. And then as far as am I concerned about a backlash of putting out free information when others charge for it or depend on their following, you know, if, when they send out tickles. Personally, I expected it. I don't mean any disrespect by it. I know that everyone, but to me, I know when I grew up, I couldn't afford, or I may not have been able to afford certain courses because some of these stock courses, they can be pricey. And if the average family is on these making or living check to check, being able to afford a college or not a college course, but a stock course really might not be feasible. And I don't want someone to have to choose from investing in this course or having access to the information and investing in the stock market. I'd rather them not even have to go pick one or the other and say, hey, I have access now to information that can help me figure out a process when I choose to invest in the market. Plus I think about legacy. It's more important for me and how I feel for is that it is more important 
for me that others learn and pass the information along. The more people have financial freedom, the more impactful and the better world I personally can be because now people are pursuing and doing things they truly enjoy and are passion, passionate about. I think about legacy and how I want to be create a legacy that lives way, way longer than my personal time here on this earth. Also, you can ask my friends, brothers, my sisters, and heck, even my parents. I just want everyone to win. I want everyone around me to be able to eat and win and be happy. I've always said I'd rather have a million dollars and then have nine others with a million around me than me have 10 million to myself and no one around me has a million dollars at all. When I say that is because one, a legacy and spreading the wealth makes you more powerful and stronger as a group than one person having all the money and his group may not be aware of the potential to earn that kind of money or his group are struggling, right? So that's something I keep in mind personally. And that's another reason why I created a podcast. Time is precious. I always say time is my new currency and I can't speak to everyone and give everyone that adequate time, but I can help put information and create something out there that people can continue to listen to or you know they may have they may have asked me now they have a place to go a couple more questions how much should i start off with i really hate this question <laughs> um i say that because i think sometimes or i mean i could it i could just have a negative perspective of it but i feel like when people say how much should i start off with they're looking saying this is all i'm going to put in and that's it and if it don't work then i'm done and that's not how you tackle life or something that you truly are interest, interested in or passionate about. Like if you're like if uh, Michael Jordan would have said, hey, the first time I get cut, I'm done. He would have never became who he is. Right. So I really don't have a set answer. I say this. Don't attempt to trade or invest anything you can't afford to lose. And and you're not taken away from like your day to day expenses right so if the last thing i want you to do is choose your rent or buying st uh, stock z z z z right you shouldn't if you're down to that you shouldn't be doing it. but it, but you can paper trade and take that time to figure out a process that works for you so keep that in mind when i first started i probably started off with a few thousand each time after i had whenever i got paid whatever i had left prior to Instead of me go blow that on going out or which it's nothing wrong with going out. Instead of me go buy things that were once just to sit in my closet or just to collect dust, I start taking that money and investing. And now I don't even have to put money in the account because my account has grown. Um, I'm trust I had a trust in my process, so I continue to use the money that's already there. But there's no, I don't think a set number that I can give you. You should call your brokers to say, hey, if I set up an account with you, is there a minimum that I have to put in? But that's on you. Second to the last question. When will you do an interview about yourself? Uh, I don't know. Um, maybe I can get someone 
who I've interviewed before sit down and ask me questions. Or maybe I can bring on like one of my parents and we'll talk about my journey with trading and investing uh, in the OTC world. Or should I just, uh, I don't know if it's not too weird, but just, just tell my story, right? Without anyone, just speak about my journey, just like how others have done. I'll figure out something and then I'll, I'll go. I have gotten a lot of questions saying like, we want to know about the Stop Whisperer and the journey of his. So Sonny Wright, that if I'm bringing people on to do and speak about their story, that I do the same. Last question. How do you deal with losses? Losses. Well, I'll break it up into two. When I first started, I hated losses emotionally. When if I made an investment and I took a loss on it, it bothered me. It it sucked. Um, I was annoyed. But what I noticed was instead of letting it constantly beat me up and and ruin my day because I would take losses bad. I start trying to make positives out of it and change my point of view, meaning what I started to do every time I, I took a loss, I would go back and reevaluate the trade to see how could I have executed better. Was it my entry point? Was I being too greedy? And what I noticed then is it helped formulate my process of what it is today. And it allowed me to start looking at the glass half full instead of half empty. Now, I really don't get annoyed or even bothered by losses too much after seeing losses of probably six figures and then um, before or losses in general as far as lack of ex execution that could have made me a couple million. Now it's like nothing can be worse than those, knock on wood. <laughs> But as far as with my emotions, red days, losses, they don't bother me now. I know it comes with the territory. Also, losses can help with taxes. Something to keep in mind. Um, obviously, a tax advisor for that kind of information. But it helps provide a balance between being disciplined and being greed. It's very humbling. It keeps you humble. And it makes you constantly focus on executing. Right. This is a earned. You want to sell at a higher point than you bought type of business to make money. So it, it I, I'm constantly reviewing my. Actually, I review my trades now even more, regardless if I lost, if I took losses or if I got gains. If I got gains, I'm asking how could I make more? If I got losses, um, why or what didn't I do in the execution? What I never do is blame anyone else. If someone recommend me a stock and I invest in it, I took the time to invest. I would never blame that person if the stock was horrendous, if I had to take a loss. At the end of the day, it's my money. So I am taking full ownership. And you'll notice that when you start looking at losses and start reevaluating them as far as what could you have done better, you'll have a different view, I personally think, on the market. But I think it'll help you be more disciplined. Uh, if you find yourself at times not lacking the appropriate discipline. So I think I've answered about 11, 12 questions and I'll do these randomly as questions come in. So please continue to send your questions in. 
If you have any uh, requests, send those in to pennystockwhisper at gmail.com. Please, pennystockwhisper at gmail.com. I do take the time to email them. I mean, not email, but to read them as much as I can. Some I respond directly. Others, if I get, if they're the same question over and over, we're going to have a few Q&A sessions. I plan on, God willing, being around for a very long time. And hopefully we can continue to have this podcast grow organically. As always, if you can, please write, write a review. If the platform you're listening to allows it, please, yeah, definitely do that for me. And and yeah, I, I'm I'm appreciative of this journey so far, and I look forward to much more and more, many more and more days and years moving along. This is only year one. And I plan on doing it and continuing to have it grow. I think I've talked enough. So now let's go as we end most sessions or most episodes. Let's go on to the ticker of the day. All right. So this ticker currently, this company has the alternating alternative reporting standard, meaning they don't have to file under the SEC filing requirements. They don't have to fulfill the SEC filing requirements but they still do have to report and fulfill the necessary requirements they currently fall under. Their last update reflects about 5 billion shares outstanding. Recently, SS Monopoly filed a request to be custodian. I believe the court date and decision is due sometime in June. Hopefully it's early June. If you're familiar with some of the previous tickers, some of the interviewers have spoke about They've been related to SS Monopoly. And most of the tickers where that I can recall that SS Monopoly have became custodian on, they move quite well. I said there are stages when you do a custodial or when you see a ticker going through the custodialship process. In my personal opinion, there's about four stages. One when they file for for custodialship, when they're granted the filings, and then you find out the next acquisition or merger or current business model that, that they're going to be pursuing. Recently, as of today, May 17th, SS Monopoly put out an update requesting or asking the courts to actually push the decision date up earlier. I've only seen one time where they didn't get custodialship, but I like to take my chances based on SS Mon Monopoly credibility and history that most of the time they do get custodialship and then it moves. So I've taken, I've I'm willing to personally take the risk to invest some money and wait to see what the courts decide as far as them getting custodialship. It's at a decent price. I think right now it's in a double zero three range. This stock ticker is NSPT. Again, that's NSPT. This concludes the ticker of the day segment. Before I conclude the episode, I do want to say the next episode we're going to, what I'm going to do is actually take time to break down tickers that moved the previous week and explain why they moved. Because I think a lot of times people always are looking for what they call runners something that moves rapidly in one day and they do exist. I'm not going to act like they don't. 
But a lot of the runners that actually moved, the groundwork was laid before. That there were clues, right? There were hints. There were those small day gains that you may have been ignoring that happened prior to the explosion. So I feel like by starting to review some of these tickers that move prior week may allow you to put future tickers or at least know what to look for. So you, when you look at future tickers, you can put things in perspective and not always think that everything's going to move in one day. And it's a, it's a buildup. And by breaking down some of those characteristics, some of those catalysts and being able to apply that information, I think reviewing some tickers the previous week will help with hopefully I'm I'm hoping that it helps provide clarity and help helps you further define and redefine your process. This concludes the episode. Finally, as always, I am the Stock Whisperer and see you later.